Welcome everyone to Detroit Today on 101.9 WDET. I'm Stephen Henderson, and as always, I'm really glad you've joined us. A little later in the show, we're going to talk about our New Year's resolutions and how hard it is to keep those resolutions. You know how it goes. You say things on December 31st and January 1st about how you're going to change your life or change your world. <clears throat> and sometimes by January 10th, you have already fallen away from that list and decided that they're either not worth doing or that they're impossible. We're going to talk with someone who says that there is something about behavioral economics that we could apply that would help us keep more of those resolutions and maybe feel better about ourselves. So you're going to want to stay tuned to that conversation. It'll get started at just about half past the hour. And of course, we're going to want to hear from you about what resolutions you made and how much luck you're having keeping them. But first, amid growing tensions and aggressions between the U.S. and Iran, one of Michigan's own members of Congress has taken a leading national role in an effort to counter the president's seemingly cavalier attitude toward foreign policy in the Middle East. Congresswoman Alyssa Slotkin is a former CIA analyst and Shia military expert who served three tours in Iraq focusing on Iranian-backed militias. She's also a senior Pentagon official focused on the region. Her concerns about the decision to kill Iran's top general grabbed national attention, and Speaker Nancy Pelosi tasked her with leading the House effort to limit the president's power to wage attacks against Iran that could lead to all-out war. Slotkin's War Powers Resolution passed the House of Representatives yesterday with bipartisan support. The resolution requires President Trump to seek authorization for use of military force before taking the country into a protracted war with Iran. That is where we want to begin the conversation today with Iran and President Trump and Congress. And here to talk about that is Representative Alyssa Slotkin, a Democrat who represents Michigan's 8th District. Alyssa, welcome to Detroit Today. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Yes, it's great to hear from you. So, uh, as I said, the, the War Powers Resolution passed yesterday. It is a resolution. Uh, tell us what that means and what power it has to constrain the president's actions. Sure. So this is a resolution that's allowed for under the War Powers Act, which is a, something that's in law and has been since the 70s, um, that is basically forces a conversation in both the House and the Senate about uh, whether we want the United States in war and whether uh, the president has the authorization for military force. And it literally doesn't do anything new. It doesn't try to curb the president's powers that he has uh, for self-defense, which I'm a big believer in. Um, it just restates, frankly, what's in the Constitution, which is if the president either intends to get us into protracted war in with Iran or if we slide into protracted war with Iran, the president has to come back to Congress and seek authorization for military force. So it, it wasn't um, trying to, to change what he can do. It was trying to force a conversation because, you know, my husband was in the army for 30 years. My stepdaughter is in the army. My son-in-law is in the army. If we're going to even potentially have the option for them to be going into armed conflict, potentially in another war, we should be having a conversation about that at Congress. And we can have a lot of different views. And for four hours yesterday, this was debated. There were a lot of different views. 
But I'm trying to force the conversation because if they can go, we can talk about it. Mm. So, so this is a line that has moved a number of times, this line between the president's authority and the role that Congress plays in deciding yep. these things uh, f- for, for years. Uh, and presidents, both Democratic and Republican, have been on either side of that line, I guess, uh, at, at various times. Talk about right now where you see the Trump administration in terms of its relationship to Congress in talking about these things. What kind of notice did you get about what what they were doing in Iran? And since then, have they been more forthcoming about the idea of involving Congress in these kinds of negotiations? Yeah. So the War Powers Resolution that's on the books already, um, you know, since the 70s, says that the president, you know, if he's going to take action, he needs to consult at the earliest available time. And we did not get a heads up um, that the president was going uh, after Mr. Soleimani, even though lots of our allies and partners in the region got a call. So that felt a little unnecessary. But the president did follow up. He sent a notification, an official notification within 48 hours of the attack, which is what's called for under war powers. And then, of course, um, we've had very high level classified briefings this past week from the secretary of state, the secretary of defense and the director of the CIA. Uh, the Senate had a brief and then they walked over and they gave it to us in the House. So I do think that that's helped, um, but I think there's, a, there's some outstanding questions, you know, that a lot of members were asking, both Democrats and Republicans, um, about the intelligence that led to the strike. Um, so I think the administration is, is hearing that there's bipartisan interest in having a real conversation about this. Um, I do think that it's clear the president does not want to drag us into a war. I'm not I'm not actually asserting that this president is looking for war. But I just think, you know, after 15 years in national security, sometimes these things happen without, you know, us planning on it. And listen, no one's happier than me that the back and forth that went on this week between the killing of Soleimani and then the ballistic missiles that Iran shot into Iraq at our forces, that no one was killed. Hmm. But we're now having a conversation today about whether Iran accidentally shot down a commercial airliner, thinking it was maybe an American jet. Um, That shows you how close we came, right, that they are so confused that they they shot down a commercial airplane. Um, And I I hope that they didn't mean to to, um, kill us in, you know, the Al-Assad Air Base and places where they shot ballistic missiles. But their aim isn't great all the time. They don't ever get everything right. No military does. So we could be having a very different conversation today if they had killed two or three American soldiers at the Al-Assad Air Base, if they had shot down a commercial aircraft full of American citizens. I mean, we we are in a lull right now, and I'm thrilled about that. Hmm. But we've had a tit for tat for eight months. So I think it's okay for us to have a conversation about the use of military force. My guest is Congresswoman Alyssa Slotkin. She is a Democrat who represents Michigan's 8th District in the House of Representatives. We're talking about the War Powers Resolution that passed the House uh, this week and seeks to involve Congress more in decisions about foreign military action following the unilateral actions that President Trump took against the Iranian government uh, last week. Uh, If you want to join the conversation, give us a call. What questions 
do you have for Congresswoman Alyssa Slotkin? Uh, how do you think the president and Congress are handling these escalating tensions with Iran? Are they working together the way that they should? Or do you see the president as kind of shutting Congress out of some of these decisions? Do you think we're headed for war somewhere uh, in the near future with Iran? And what would war with Iran mean for the U.S. and the rest of the world? As always, the number on the phones here is 313-577-1019. That's 313-577-1019. You can also go to the WDET Facebook page and put comments there, or go to Twitter and hashtag Detroit Today, and uh, we'll try to work you into the conversation. Uh, Congresswoman, I want to talk to you about your personal experience with all of this in mm. Iraq. Uh, you, you spent a lot of time there uh, as a CIA analyst. Um, paint us a picture of your time there and your experiences with countering Iranian influence in Iraq. Yeah. Well, I did three tours in Iraq alongside um, the military. I was a CIA analyst with a specialization in Iraqi Shia militias. And these are the militias that we know were taking um, equipment and aid and counsel from Iran. And um, this is where Qasem Soleimani has a, a major early overlap with my career because he was in charge of the Quds Force, an organization that was designing this whole plan of meeting the Shia militias, engaging with them, training them, getting them ready to go to use as proxy forces against the U.S. So I have literally been watching that guy and his nefarious activities my entire adult career. Um, so I did three different tours. I would go, I would come back, I would go, and I would come back. And they, they each did different things. Uh, I will note that in my second tour, um, I led a team looking at Iranian connections to those Shia militias, mm. particularly with the specific rockets and mortars that we were seeing lobbed at U.S. forces in Iraq that were killing U.S. forces, that were kill wounding um, U.S. forces. We did some of the original analysis, this is way back in 2006, to connect Iranian weapons um, to those Shia militias. Um, and, uh, you know, my, by the time my third tour came around, um, uh, which was in 2008, uh, frankly, um, that tour I, I always think about the most because my, that's where I met my husband. My mm -hmm. husband's a 30-year Army colonel. He was working for General Dave Petraeus, um, and we actually met in Saddam's palace. Um, I was a CIA <laughs> officer. He was an Army officer. Um, so that was the good thing about it. The bad thing about it is that was um, the spring of 2008 was the highest concentration of rocket and mortar attacks on the green zone where we were living um, in the, the entire time we've been in Iraq since 2003. So many people physically moved into the palace. Um, they left their trailers. Um, we were under five, six, seven rocket attacks a day. Um, we'd get a big um, uh, air warning, you know, sort of a sound through speakers that there was a projectile coming in and you'd have to just run like heck um, to the nearest duck and cover bunker um, and just lay down and hope that the thing didn't hit you. And that was some of my um, experience um, running for those duck and cover bunkers um, and making sure we account for people when it's all over and when we get the all clear. Um, that was uh, one of the hallmarks of my second tours. I'm sorry, my third tour. So uh, my experience with this is pretty up close and personal and it's one of the reasons why it's just been, for me, important to say, you know what, if you're going to do this and risk another war in the Middle East, which I don't think anyone wants, 
but we could end up in if mm-hmm. we don't actually have an affirmative conversation about it. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I want to go to Levi in Southfield, who has a very specific question for you about this relationship between Congress and the president. Levi, welcome to the show. You there, Levi? Uh, I don't know if he's paying attention, but I will go ahead and ask his question. It's <laughs> sure. in the notes here. Uh, he says he wants to know about the practicality of getting congressional approval when you locate someone that you need to take out. So in this case, Soleimani is somebody that, without question, is an enemy of or was an enemy of the United States. Uh, what's the practicality of the president coming to Congress and saying, look, I, I need to do this, and I, I, I want to keep you informed uh, at, at the same time that you've got this kind of exigent circumstance. How is that supposed to work? Yeah, so it's not supposed to work that way. And there's no requirement or law that says the president has to seek permission before he acts in self-defense. So that's not the only thing that War Powers asks for is that he should consult with Congress. And usually that means what we call the gang of eight, you know, eight senior members of uh, the House and Senate Mm -hmm. um, should get a phone call. um, And we're very used to doing this in the Bush administration and the Obama administration. You know, if the White House calls and says we need to brief the gang of eight on something that's going on, it literally you do it usually over the phone. It's very, very quick. Um, So it requires you to consult. And then you can go ahead and take the action. You're not seeking permission. There's no law. There's no meeting. There's no nothing that's required. Um, But you do have to send a piece of paper, a notification over to Congress within 48 hours after you take that action, after. And it starts a 60-day clock. Um, This is all according to the War Powers Act from 1973. So the president did, in the case of Qasem Soleimani, he did provide that notification, a War Powers notification, within 48 hours. I went and read it. Um, it's classified, but I went and read it. Um, and now the 60-day clock starts. And what it basically says is if after 60 days you haven't pulled those forces back, then you need to come to Congress because 60 days is kind of what normal folks would say is a good amount of time to deal with emergency self-defense situations. Um, and if you want to go beyond 60 days, which many presidents do, you just got to come back to Congress, explain your strategy and seek authorization. And um, so that's that's uh, Levi is right to ask the question. I'm like, hey, could we there's no way Congress um, could could vote on something before we have to go after, um, you know, Qasem Soleimani or somebody else. He's right. And there's no requirement, nor am I asking for a requirement for there to be so. Okay, but I know you've got to uh, you've got to run, and I really appreciate you taking the time this morning. But before we let you go, I do want to ask you about PFAS. President Trump has said he will probably veto PFAS legislation if it goes to his desk. That means a lot to us here in the state of Michigan, where we've got a huge problem with this chemical in the Great Lakes and in the watershed. What's your reaction to what the president said? Yeah, um, so literally that's why I have to go because we're, we're discussing and debating and presenting <laughs> our PFAS amendments on the floor of the House right now. I'm watching my fellow Michiganders on the C-SPAN right now talk about it. Um, you know, we tried to get a lot of these PFAS regulations passed through the Pentagon's budget, you know, really to force the military in particular to clean up some of their sites around their bases. And about, you know, some of them stayed in the budget, but the Senate and the president took out a bunch of those PFAS provisions. Um, and, uh, you know, I think, honestly, I, it may come down for them to an issue of money. 
Um, and they don't want the Pentagon to have to spend a lot of money, and they don't want a lot of companies who use PFAS in their materials and their products to have to change. Um, and I think Michigan is really on the cutting edge, unfortunately, of this issue. We're looking harder than anybody else for PFAS. We're finding more PFAS than anywhere in the country. Um, and I think Michiganders know better than anybody that this is a reality. It's affecting us. We have four sites in my district in Livingston County. Um, and we need to address this and take this seriously. Um, today is a big start because it's a big bill. Most important thing that it does is forces the EPA to set a standard on PFAS. Like what's healthy, what's not healthy, what's okay, what's not okay. Once we have a standard, then we can start testing, we can start understanding what level we're cleaning up to. It, it, it kicks off a whole lot of things. So that's the center of it. Um, and I think every Michigander, regardless of political affiliation, knows that we've got issues with PFAS and we need to address them head on. And, and what's the way to get the president to see this? It seems that he is in a different camp. Yeah, well, we're, we're going to need the public to have a voice on this, right? I think the president um, is just like any president sensitive to public, uh, you know, voicing their opinions mm -hmm. on things. And we've seen him change his mind on things when the, the sort of fever pitch from, from citizens gets really loud and he hears that. So we're going to need pressure on our senators, um, who, of course, are already supportive, but we want them to be able to reflect that in the Senate, that, hey, you know what, this is not just a Democratic issue, Republican issue. This is a human being issue. And we have got to do something about this chemical that is really giving people um, health issues that they shouldn't have to have from their drinking water. Okay, Congresswoman Alyssa Slotkin, Democrat who represents Michigan's 8th District in Washington. Always great to catch up with you here on Detroit Today. Thanks for being with us. Thanks so much for having me. Take care. Up next, we are going to talk about the behavioral economics of our New Year's resolutions. Why do we make them? How do, we affect, uh, how do they affect our behavior? And how can we do a better job of actually keeping them? We're going to want to hear from you. What resolutions did you make and how well have you kept them in the first 10 days of 2020? Stay with us on Detroit Today.